0: my limited experience, few things make a good Protestant nervous like the Virgin Mother. <laughs> As we're drawn deeper into the season of Advent, this young girl, Mary, for obvious reasons, uh, becomes a more central focus in the story. Uh, she's a focus for the Christian church around the world today. Wondering how many sermons are being preached this morning about Mary, reminding us that she's young. Have you ever heard a sermon about how young Mary was? I'm not preaching that sermon this morning. Um, How brave Mary was, and we know that she was young and she was brave. And Mary is often our entry into the Nativity because uh, she's the character, I think, who most effectively uh, pulls on the humanness of the drama. There's the mystery of God taking on flesh, and there's the humanness of Mary. And this incredible girl puts our imaginations to work, doesn't she? I have to think that Rowan Williams had her in mind, certainly as he wrote this fourth stanza of the poem that we've been using throughout this Advent season, Advent calendar. In the fourth stanza, he says, He will come, will come, will come like crying in the night, like blood, like breaking. As the earth writhes to toss him free, he will come like child. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in the name of your precious son, Jesus, asking that once again in this moment, your spirit would be present to all of us, illuminating us, inspiring us, guiding us into all truth. We pray that more than anything by your grace, this day and these few moments we share together would form us, body, soul, and spirit in ways that are fit to us, and in ways that conform us to the image of your Son. And so we ask for your grace and your help to that end, in his name. Amen. The coming of Jesus begins with the annunciation that we just heard in Luke's gospel. The announcement from Gabriel to Mary that she would conceive and bear a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this text that we just heard together in the room is the official commencement. It is the beginning of Yahweh keeping his promise to the snake in the garden. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I, that's a key phrase here, as the lead agent and the actor, I am going to put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring, have you ever stopped to wonder who the serpent's offspring is? And I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Isn't it interesting that the great tradition refers to Mary as the new Eve? Mary as the new Eve, because Mary did what Eve failed to do. In the garden, Eve is confronted, if you will, but you'll notice something. If you read the text closely in Genesis 3, Eve asks no questions. Eve drinks it up. (laughs) all the lies that the serpent had to say about God, all the distortions and additions to the things that God had said, Eve listens to them without being perplexed at all. Isn't it interesting that Eve is not perplexed by a serpent, but Mary is perplexed by the angel? that Eve would ask a serpent no questions, but Mary would say, how can this be? I think it's interesting to delineate Mary's response to the angel from Zacharias in that Zacharias' tense is basically, how can this even happen? Mary's is, I know this is going to happen, but how in the world could it happen? It's interesting that In Eve's story, she is primarily a taker. She takes initiative. She takes the fruit and she eats it. While Eve is a giver, uh, Mary is a giver. She gives herself, surrenders herself, as we heard in that last verse, to God. I think the word fruit is interesting because Eve ate fruit and Mary ends up giving fruit. What does Elizabeth say to her? Blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Oh, there, the, please see the connection here. We have Eve taking fruit. We have Mary giving herself, and she ultimately gives fruit who will stand up in John chapter 6, and he will give his body and his blood as food. What Eve was trying to acquire by her own initiative, God ultimately wanted to give us anyway in his son. The tree that Eve went to was not the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Mary, by giving of herself, will give birth to the tree of life, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is why tradition calls Mary the new Eve. Alexander Schmemann says it this way, Mary is the true daughter of the Old Testament, its last and most beautiful flower she is the gift of the world to God. After millennia living in futility, it says in Romans 8, after millennia of being subjected to futility, the world and creation has one last thing to offer God, and her name is Mary. God cares about small things. Thousands of Jewish girls, millions of women, God cares about small things, showing up to this seemingly insignificant girl who turns out to be quite spectacular. See, this is what makes God great. It's what we see in this story this morning. God's greatness is that he has the capacity to attend to small things. Many people think that because God is great, he can't be bothered with the details of our lives. Because God is great, we have no right, we have no business going to God with the small affairs of our lives. And I would suggest looking at Advent, looking at Christmas, looking at all of Scripture, just the opposite is true. God's greatness is not merely represented in his capacity to handle the great dilemma of the world. His greatness is manifest in the fact that while he's sustaining us and the universe, he can still attend to your personal situation. His greatness is that he has the capacity to care about small things. Jesus introduces us to this God. Sometimes we like the idea that God is too busy to be bothered about the small things of our lives because it gives us anonymity, right? God doesn't care what I do with my money. God doesn't care what I do with my time. God doesn't care about this act that I took this past week. For those of us in the room who like ethical anonymity, a God who cares about small things is troubling. However, for those of us in the room this morning who feel isolated and alone, For those of us who feel like no one hears us, it's very good news this morning to know that God cares about small things. Jesus reveals a God who sees sparrows. Jesus reveals a God who sees what we do in secret. Again, go back to the anonymity thing. I don't know that we always like that. My parents used that against me sometimes. As a child growing up, I was incentivized by the fact that God saw what I did in secret. You see, Jesus coming like child, which is this fourth stanza of William's poem, that he will come like child. This reveals a God who is interested in small things because he doesn't come like emperor. He doesn't come like kings. He doesn't come like mountains and rivers and oceans. He comes like child. And this is radical. This is a God who is radically holy, radically other than anything people have seen. This is a God who is unprecedented in human history. Cicero says it this way. The gods attend to great matters. They neglect small ones. Paul says it this way. Anyone who loves God is known by him. Cicero and Paul had very different ideas about divinity, didn't they? The Latin writer would say that the gods couldn't be bothered with the details of your life. The gods couldn't be bothered with your brokenness. The gods can't be bothered with your unanswered questions, with your sickness, with your disease, and certainly not with your sin. They attend to great matters, big matters, disasters, wars. Paul says no. I love the, even the way he spins it in Galatians chapter 4 when he says, the issue here is that you know God. No, he stops himself, you are known by God. I don't want us to take for granted the fact that this great God of the universe knows us in all of our smallness this morning. Why can we make bold claims? Why would we even suggest it? Because he came like a child. He came to an anonymous virgin girl with an incredible opportunity and offer and invitation. What's interesting to me is that God is patient enough to start small. He's patient enough to start small. He's patient enough to come like child to a broken world that is in desperate need of rescue, is it not? I mean, isn't this a world that desperately needs a savior? I'm going to say it again. I know it's Christmas Eve, but you're all going to have to say amen. Does the world need a savior? Thank you. We're a world that needs a savior, and God's response is to send a baby. God's response is to come like child. What does that tell us if not that God is patient? He's going to send a child whose lifespan will be 33 years and 30 of them will be spent in anonymity. Is there anybody besides me that would have done it totally differently? <laughs> we don't have time for you to grow up. We don't have time for you to hone your carpentry skills. Get going. He will come like child. Sounds beautiful when Rowan Williams, I wish I had an English accent because if I could say it like the 104th Archbishop of Canterbury, it would sound better, but I can't. I'm from New York. So I'll just say, he's going to come like a child. (laughs) Baby who's going to take some time to get where he needs to be in order to do what he's got to do. says that we have a God who's patient enough to start small. Not only is he a child, he's a child in Galilee. He didn't even grow up in the big city, Tulsa. He's a child who becomes a man who ministers in Galilee and pulls a rousing crowd of 12 around him. Eventually, their message gets to Jerusalem, not to Rome. Jesus never went there. And from his crowds of 20,000, 20,000 who ate his miracle bread multiplied. His miracle fishes multiplied. 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. How many of them were at the cross? How many of them were in the upper room? 120. Jesus knows how to shrink a church real fast. But that 120 would eventually reach the entire Mediterranean region. With the news that Jesus is Lord and that word would spread to, spread to the ends of the earth. I wonder, is there anything in your life this morning that's just taking a little bit too long to develop? Is there anything in your life that you can't understand why it hasn't grown up yet? Have you ever been frustrated? that God isn't moving as quickly as you'd like him to, or maybe you're not developing the way you think you should. I'm wondering what would happen this Christmas if the greatest gift each one of us got was a new perspective. And that uh, one of my, my best friends, his dad preached a sermon in our church, and the title of his sermon was, You Need to Learn to Recognize Your Blessing in Its Infant Form. When you look at that baby, if the only thing you see is a baby, you might despair. But if you see God's plan, you'll have hope. If you're looking at something in your life this morning that's too small, taking too long, maybe the gift of a new perspective will bring some hope. Because he will come like child. I like the fact that God is secure enough. To start small, he's secure enough to start small. Few things in the world are as vulnerable as an infant, as a newborn baby. And few things in the world are as dangerous as an unaccountable, thin skinned king. <laughs> he will come like a child means that this vulnerable infant will be born into Herod's jurisdiction. And God's not worried. We all should be worried. This is a man who kills his own sons. Why would he not kill God's son? As a matter of fact, we know that Herod would go on in response to God coming like child and he would initiate what has come to be known as the massacre of the uh, the innocents in Bethlehem, the weeping of Rachel in Bethlehem, where this small village of maybe seven or 800 people loses somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to 20 boys under the age of two. We realize that there are churches in town bigger than Bethlehem. Hello? What would it be like for a church of a thousand people to have 15 boy toddlers murdered by the government? He will come like child to Herod's jurisdiction. This is clearly a God who is secure enough to come like child. The holy family was a vulnerable family. We sing carols. Tonight we're going to sing carols that talk about this baby and that he is the hope of the world, and he's being left to a girl that some parents wouldn't let babysit their own children because she's too young and not qualified. But the holy family was not the only vulnerable family. The early church was a vulnerable family. Jesus decides, I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to leave you guys to get it done. Does anybody besides me question the wisdom of that strategy? When you think about your own track record, should I have been left with the responsibility of this kingdom of God and message of the gospel? We have to remember That Christ being born, whether it was 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem or as the carol famously says, if he's being born in us today, whenever he comes like child, he's a threat to the Herods of the world. He's a threat to the powers that be. This morning, I want to encourage you and I want to tell you, never succumb to insecurity, never fall victim to the, the this sense that we need to prove ourselves or somehow overcompensate for our smallness. God loves smallness. God is secure enough to start small. I think it would be wonderful if Advent in particular would reform us in ways that we could learn to rest in our own smallness. Think of what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 26-29 says. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I love this verb. God chose. He didn't play the hand he was dealt. He chose what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. And somebody said amen. God chose to come like child. Which means on some level, God is confident, comfortable, and secure enough to know it's going to work out, even if I come like child. See, if I was in a Pentecostal church, I'd tell you to slap your neighbor and tell him it's going to work out. But I'm not going to do that right now. The temptation was there, and I resisted. The fact of the matter is, we can walk with that same perspective because God is our Father. Insecurity is such a plague. It causes such tension in our relationships and even within our own souls. And we look at God, the immortal, the all-wise, the one who was before time began, and he is content to come like child. He is secure enough to start small. He's capable enough To start small, God doesn't need to start big. God doesn't need to have a grand launch. God didn't need to split the heavens. He didn't need to crack the great empires of the world and announce His coming. He's capable without doing any of that. We're the evidence of this this morning because 2,000 years and some 10,000 miles removed. Here we sit in the name of Jesus. Here we worship the king of kings. The reality is the greatest story ever told is the only story ever told. There are no other stories. There are no competing stories. It's not as if you have a story, I have a story, and God has a story. The whole thing is God's story and every human drama, everything that's happened from throne rooms to riots in the streets to riots in your kitchen. Every one of them is either in alignment with or rebellion to God's story. God is not in competition. And that's why he can come like child. He doesn't need the mighty and the powerful and the wise and the noble by birth. And all of us who aren't mighty and noble and wise, we said amen. Think about what Dr. Green preached last Sunday from the Magnificat. What was, what was Mary's praise? That the mighty have been brought down. That the rich are emptied. God does not need a posse. He doesn't need a network of friends who can somehow help him get his stuff done. So much Christian preaching nowadays is on relationships and friendships and making sure you cut the right people, I'm sorry, cut the wrong people out of your life and get the right people into your life, ultimately so you can make more money. But the bottom line is, (laughs) I'm being a little sarcastic there. The bottom line is, God is capable enough to have lousy friends. God is capable enough to have the worst sorts of friends and still get his will done. He is a friend of sinners, and all the sinners said, Amen. Jesus doesn't need an impressive Rolodex. He doesn't need a network. He doesn't have to have an impressive favorites page on his iPhone. He doesn't need any of those things. He's capable enough to start small. He became small. He doesn't need the mighty and the powerful. He chooses the vulnerable who are available. Can I say that again? He doesn't need the mighty and the powerful. He chooses the vulnerable who are available. Hence our gospel reading this morning. He chooses, Paul's language, the vulnerable who are available. There's some fine print here. There's always fine print. And I'm not going to say it fast. I'm going to take my time. Make sure you hear it. Because as Archbishop Williams' poem so beautifully points out, before he comes like child, he will come like crying. He will come like blood. He will come like breaking. And there is a writhing in our flesh not necessarily our physical flesh, but our fleshly nature, our carnal nature, there is a writhing inside of us that will accompany God coming like child in us. I consider it a privilege to be a part of a community that celebrates Advent. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. I grew up chomping at the bit, waiting to get to a celebration. And in the process, not of anyone's fault per se, I missed out on years of formation. Because Advent is not about celebration, Advent is about formation. Advent is not about four weeks of merely biding our time till we can have fun. Advent is about four weeks of being invited by the Holy Spirit into a deeper process of having your thinking changed, your mind renewed, rewiring taking place. This is not about taking the joy out of the season. It's not about being a holy grinch. It's about submitting to the work of the Spirit in the church to say, take this time to prepare yourself. Take this time to be available to my working, to rewire you in such a way that I can show up in you. I can come and be born in you anew. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could be so focused every year that we saw Advent as a season of pregnancy? My daughters tease me that I am expecting a bread baby, is what they call it. Stand behind the pulpit, real right here. We need a big pulpit, that's what we need. Um, my wife has graciously borne three children in our home, and it reformed her. She took on a different shape. What if Advent, if we want to see Jesus born in us, if we want, we've talked about this at the very beginning of this series of messages, the first Sunday of Advent, we said what? There are three comings. There is his first coming. There is his second coming for which we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. But there is a third coming in between the two. There is his coming to us in our praise, his coming to us in the sacraments. There is his coming to us through our prayer and through his spirit. And wouldn't it be tremendous if Jesus was born in us anew every Christmas? But as every woman who has born a child is infinitely more qualified to say to us this morning, that will come like crying like blood, like breaking and like writhing. And for those of us in this world who have been convinced by this world that comfort and convenience are the highest good, this presents a challenge. Maybe we're We're cracking the nut here. Maybe we're getting close to the heart of of the issue, and that is if we are, if we are, to the extent that we are imbued with these cultural sensibilities, I don't want to cry. I don't want to bleed. I certainly don't want to break. I don't want to writhe. I don't like this small talk. I wonder to whatever extent those things sort of almost like reverse sweating. It's like they seep into our pores. It diminishes our capacity to bear Jesus in our own soul. The reality is there are people sitting in the room this morning who are crying and bleeding, who are writhing, who are broken and breaking all at the same time. Finances, marriage, health, spiritual dryness. And to those people this morning, I think all of this offers hope. The issue is not so much there, but our capacity to interpret what is there. We hear the crying. We see the blood and the breaking. Are we seeing them as ends in and of themselves, or are we seeing them as the secondary consequence of something greater? Christianity is, and the the, the faith that we've been handed down is not a faith that exalts in darkness and crying and blood and brokenness. No, 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 no. It's a faith that says all of those things can be redeemed because on the other side, he will come. All of those things can be redeemed because in the end, that is how he will come. In other words, what if our pain is inseparable from the process? Whatever frustration, whatever hardship, you and if you don't have it this morning, if your life is absolutely wonderful, we rejoice with you. We're grateful for you. If you're on the top of the mountain, please shout and praise for the rest of us who are not there yet. But for everybody on the mountain, here's what we all know, is there is a day coming that will be dark. There is a day coming that there will be crying, there will be bleeding, there will be breaking, there will be writhing. There is that day coming. And so please file this away in your back pocket and save it for that day. Because I came this morning to conclude with this simple line, Your pain is not incidental to the process. It's inseparable from the process. And the process is headed towards your deliverance. The child who will come is a deliverer. He is a savior. He is a rescuer. And in case we haven't all figured this out yet, we need saving pretty much on a daily basis. Can somebody wave a hanky at me and say, you better preach, pastor. Somebody. We need saving every day just about. Attitudes, affections, words spoken, words not spoken but heard by God, all of it and more. We need a deliverer. Our neighbors around us need a deliverer. What they don't need is they don't need to hear theories and theology. They need him to be born in us. They need him to be embodied in us. And the cry of the Spirit today is, will you enter the pain like Mary? Will you say these words, be it unto me according to your word? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for Mary. I thank you for the grace that was on her life to be perplexed, to ponder. God, I am so grateful that Mary asked questions. I'm grateful that Mary was willing to endure the dark and the pain to bring forth your son. And I pray that that grace would be in this house. That grace of Mary to be vulnerable yet available to exult in small things because you're the God who is patient enough. You are capable enough, you are secure enough to start with small things. Be it unto us according to your word.